All right, good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you're joining with us online. Uh, we're currently in the book of Hebrews, but uh, today is going to be our Christmas service and also our Christmas sermon. And so I'd like to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter, and I'll begin reading in verse 18. Uh, why don't those of you who are able uh, stand, you can follow along as I read. If not, where you're seated is fine. Matthew, by the Holy Spirit, records the account, beginning in verse 18, by the Holy Spirit, he writes, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this, verse 22, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, the name above all other names, the only name given among men, whereby we must be saved. Let's pray, if you would, please join with me. <sighs> Loving Father in heaven, we're just in awe of you on this special day that we celebrate the birth of the Savior of the world. Lord, we just read this account here in the Gospel of Matthew, and now we need for the Holy Spirit to minister to us that which you would have us to see in this record, in this passage. Lord, we know that there's something here that you want us to know, and there's something here that you want us to see. So I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive as you speak into our lives. That's why we're here, Lord. We want to hear you speak in that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, speak. 
Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So for this year's Christmas sermon, I want to talk with you about the power of faith over fear, especially with everything that's happening in the world today. Back in 2018, before everything changed, boy those were the days, huh? Remember? The Lord had directed me to revisit Joseph, this man who would be the earthly father of the Savior of the world. However, before we jump into this, I think I would be grossly remiss if I didn't address the big elephant in the room, or the big elephant under the tree, whatever you prefer. And what I'm speaking of is the celebration of Christmas itself as Christians. Um, I hope I'm not ruining anybody's Christmas and New Year, but Jesus was not born on December 25th. You knew that, right? Actually, it's even worse. No, it really is. <laughs> December 25th is actually a very pagan uh, day, and its origins are surrounding the ancient Roman festival in honor of the god Saturn, Saturnalia. So Merry Christmas. Let's just close in prayer. And I mean, every time, every year, it's, it's like it gets worse, you know. And, and I don't know if you guys get it. I know I get it all the time. Of course, as the pastor, it's kind of like, you know, I'm the Antichrist because I celebrate Christmas. Do you get that? Please tell me you do. Just humor me and tell me that you do. Don't you know it's a pagan holiday? Yeah. Do you have a tree? Yeah. <laughs> no. You call yourself a Christian? It's a pagan celebration. Okay. So here's the question. Why is it that we celebrate Christmas as the day of the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world, knowing that it is a pagan celebration? Well, I just want to share with you the answer, and you're free to use this if anybody takes you to task on this. But to me, it's the one day of the year when the entire world hears the name of Jesus, and is reminded about the birth of Jesus, even if they don't know Jesus personally. It's the one day. Why would you not want to celebrate one day on the calendar every year that the whole world hears the name of Jesus? Well, pastor, with all due respect, they've taken Christ out of Christmas. Uh, happy holidays, whatever. Hol holiday? Holy day. Nice try. You can't get away. It's a holy day. It's a happy day too. Oh, happy day. Anyway, I digress. 
that song is still stuck on my mind from Thursday, but. Um, how about this one? Uh, Xmas. Oh, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I said. It's kind of like Xmas, really? Until I found out, get this, this is so cool. In the Greek, X is Christos, Christ. Nice try again. <laughs> you can call it Xmas, whatever. You ain't getting away from Jesus, no matter what you do, and no matter how hard you try. And why would we as Christians on the one day of the year where we could talk about Jesus and the birth of the Savior, why would we not want to do that? Okay, pastor, thank you for that. Can we talk about the tree? Absolutely. No. I, I got to share this with you. I, this is, you know, at the old building, we used to rent this SDA church for 12 years, right, before God miraculously gave us this beautiful property and, and building. And the SDA church would set up the Christmas tree. And it was like they kept doing it earlier and earlier every year. And we had just gone on YouTube and the tree was right behind me. And you should have seen some of those comments on YouTube. <gasps> you celebrate Christmas. You got a pagan tree behind you. How could you? Well, I'll, I'll explain why we have a tree. And by the way, for those of you online, our tree is over here. So <laughs> you know what the tree represents? The cross. You know what the star on the tree represents? The star of Bethlehem. You know what the lights on the tree represent? The light of the world, Jesus the Christ. You know what the most important part of the tree in terms of what it represents is? The gifts under the tree, because they represent the gift of eternal life that Jesus paid for in full when He died on that tree almost 2,000 years ago. The Bible says, cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. Jesus the Christ took the curse of man, the sin of man, and He paid in full by dying on a tree. So I'm having a Christmas tree. I don't care. And here's one last thing, just to get it off my chest. <laughs> I kind of like Christmas. So if you want to ruin my Christmas, I'm not going to let you. So Merry Christmas. Now let's get back to our, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say that in love, of course, in a very sanctified way. But all right, let's talk about Joseph. Uh, what an unsung hero. What an untold story of faith. I would argue that this man was an amazing man. And you know what's sad is he's hardly ever talked about. I was sharing in the update today that we do err greatly when it comes to 
these men and women in the Bible. And somehow, I don't know why, especially when it comes to the birth of the Savior, we don't see these people as real people. These were real people like you and me. They had daily pressures of daily life. They were people that experienced all kinds of emotions, stress, fear. We're going to talk about that. They were people just like us. They were real people in a different time. This man, Joseph, was a real man. This is why it is that you'll never hear me say, and I don't mean to be derogatory to those who do, but they'll refer to these men and women in Scripture as characters in the Bible. I don't, I'll never say that because you almost single-handedly fictionalize these people. Oh, they're just like a character in a, in a movie. No, these were real people. These were real people. These things that we're reading in our Bibles really happened exactly the way we have them recorded in Scripture. And these were real people that, that experienced real emotions, just like us. And I think, again, we do err greatly when we don't see them like that. And certainly, I think that's the case when it comes to men like Joseph. I mean, this guy was amazing. I want to point out a couple things in order to better understand just how unique God's calling was on his life. Think about this. Joseph was the only man in human history that was ever told that he was chosen to be the earthly father of the Savior of the world. How about that? No other man in all of human history from Adam to the present would ever have that honor. If this weren't unbelievable enough, how about this one? He would also be the only husband in human history that would have a son born of a virgin. Let that sink in. No other man in human history would ever experience what this man experienced as the earthly father of the Savior of the world. As I was pondering this, it struck me that Joseph likely lived the rest of what's believed to be a short life being ridiculed and rejected by everyone. Why do we think he lived a short life? Because he was not present at the crucifixion. In that day, life was so hard, men would not live very long, especially men, leaving behind their widows. So he's not there at the crucifixion, which is why Jesus would ask John to take care of his mother. And by the way, with all due respect to anyone who comes out of a Catholic background, Mary was a real person. We'll talk a little bit about Mary too. 
But this husband and wife, for the rest of their life, would have been scorned, rejected, ridiculed. They would have posted all kinds of stuff on their social media pages. You have no idea. One of those posts would have likely been something along the lines of, did you hear about Mary? <laughs> Get this, there. she was conceived by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to the Savior of the world as a virgin. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, they, no, they're trying to cover up sexual sin. For the rest of their lives, they would live under the crushing weight of the criticism from everyone, their families, their friends. Can you even imagine what that must have been like for them? I'm hoping to kind of paint this portrait, this backstory, so that we can have a better understanding of just how amazing this story really is. I mean, when you think about it, when they, after Jesus is born, by the way, this is a little side note parenthetically. You know, when he was born, he was born in a manger, right? We've cleaned it up and tidied it up. And it was a, a stone cold feeding trough for animals. And they wrapped him in cloth and placed him in this manger, we call it, which was basically a stone feeding trough. Get this, that's what they would do with the Passover lamb in preparation for the sacrifice. And they had one specific field and the shepherds would watch over these lambs because these lambs were special. They had to be watched and inspected and found without blemish or spot in order to qualify as a sacrificial lamb for the Passover. Do you know where that shepherd's field, where these lambs were, where it was located? Bethlehem. That's why and that's when and that's where they took the Lamb of God to the exact location there in Bethlehem, in that specific shepherd's field, under the watch of those shepherds. Don't you find it interesting that the birth of the Savior of the world is first announced to dirty, rotten, stinking, smelly shepherds? Hey, listen, if the birth of the Savior is going to be announced, shouldn't that go out to the elite? To the who's who? I mean, this is the Savior of the world. And the announcement goes to shepherds. Oh yeah, but these aren't just any ordinary shepherds. And this is not just any ordinary birth. This is the Lamb of God. And He was born in that very exact location, exactly as the prophecy said. And by the way, they would take the Passover lamb and they would wrap it in cloth in preparation 
for the sacrifice, which is exactly what they did with Jesus. How's that one? Is that chicken skin or what? Now let's get back to Joseph and Mary. Do you know how hard their lives were? Even before this, they didn't have it easy. And by the way, they're really young. I know this messes people up and jams people's gears, but they're teenagers. You know that, right? At this time, very young. You okay? Are we good still? <laughs> and then they had to, to escape Herod. They had to travel to Egypt, again, as the prophecy would have it. You know how hard traveling was in that day? I mean just the actual birth itself, that ninth month of pregnancy. Again, Mary was a real person. She was pregnant with a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, but she still had all of the things that women who get pregnant have. I remember when in the ninth month my wife, pregnant with our children, would say to me, <laughs> she didn't have to say anything, there's the expression said at all. This, this kid needs to be born now. <laughs> hard that ninth month, like I know, right? You know, yeah, it was hard on me too. But for the woman, so hard. And all of this is going on. I don't think it's possible to overstate the faith that both Joseph and Mary would have had to have in order to fulfill their part in this salvation story. I want to share with you concerning Joseph two truths that I believe can have profound application to our own lives in this, the last hour of human history before the rapture of the church. First, he counted the cost and made the decision. I find it most interesting that he had considered the implications of what God had chosen him to do and decided to do it. When he first heard that she was pregnant, before the angel of the Lord appeared to him, he thought, out of respect for her reputation, that he would divorce her so that, because he was a righteous man, and he did not, you have to imagine in that culture in that day, to be pregnant out of wedlock, unthinkable. You would have to you'd be run out of town. <laughs> they actually were, but unthinkable. And I, I love the detail that God deemed necessary for the Holy Spirit to inspire Matthew to write, when we're told that Joseph started considering the implications of all of this. She's pregnant? We, we're pure. How can this be? Oh, <laughs> I don't, think about this. He actually initially, before the angel of the Lord appeared to him, thought, 
she was unfaithful, because that was the only explanation. She, she had sex with another man and has gotten pregnant. And the angel of the Lord appears to him, says to him, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And he explains the whole thing to him. But, and by the way, whenever you read in the Bible the words to someone, do not be afraid, it's because they were afraid. And that's deeply profound. Joseph was so fearful. Again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But could you imagine the emotions? What are we going to do? How are we going to, we got, just the pressure, the amount of stress that would be on them. And so then the angel of the Lord appears to him. And in spite of knowing that there would be tremendous opposition and adversity from everyone he knew, for the rest of his short life, he counted the cost and he made the decision to accept Jesus as his own son and parent him as a father. Look, I'll tell you, <laughs> as an earthly father, I've shared this before, and it's not hyperbole. I mean this, literally. I've started businesses and operated businesses. I've started churches and pastored churches combined. They are not as difficult as parenting. Combined. That's not hyperbole. Hard enough to be a father, let alone the fun. No pressure. The father of the Savior of the world? <laughs> Me? That's a lot of pressure. It's okay. The Holy Spirit will give you all that you need in order to parent the Savior of the world. Oh, by the way, <laughs> He's going to be the perfect child. You know, the one you thought you were going to have before your children were born. You read the same books I did, right? You read all those parenting books when you're, before your child is born, you're like, eh, <laughs> I got this. I, and, and then they're born, you're like, oh God, oh God. And you don't sleep ever again after. Anyway, we threw them all away. In fact, I think I might have burned one of them. So much for knowing how to parent. Here's my point, and I do have one. <laughs> he counted the cost before he accepted Jesus. You see where I'm going with this? You know, there is a cost, and it's not one to be taken lightly. And I think it is a sad day when we live in a world where many a pastor, and I don't say this again to be derogatory, but they present the gospel in such a way that it's like there's no, there's no cost. There's no picking up of the cross and no dying to oneself in order to be a disciple of Jesus. This was a cost, it cost him 
everything for the rest of his life. And he counted that cost, and he still made the decision. I love that hymn, timeless hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. I think Joseph could have written his own hymn, I have decided to parent Jesus, <laughs> but I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, though none go with me, and they won't, still I will follow. Well, here's a second one that I want to spend the remainder of our time on today. And it has to do with how he believed by faith, faith, and obeyed God's command. Notice with me in verse 24, where we're told that when Jesus, when Joseph woke up from the dream, he did what the Lord had commanded him. Now it's easy to just at first read, read over that, and it's like, oh yeah, okay. No, wait a minute. He actually did it by faith. He did what? He obeyed the command. And by the way, do not be afraid is a command. And we want it to be a command. And here's why. Because when it's a command, then it rises to the level of God enabling us to do that which He's commanding us to do. You know, I think when we're reading in our Bibles about the commands of God, as John says, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. We almost want it to be a command, because if it's a command, we are promised that God will never command us to do anything that He will not empower us to do. So here's the command. And now what comes packaged with the command is the empowering and the enabling to do that which I've commanded you to do. Also, notice in verse 25, how that we're told, again, very interesting detail, that Joseph did not consummate their marriage until after Mary had given birth to Jesus, again, in obedience to the command. Now, why do I mention this? Because it speaks to, a bit, we've been studying this in Hebrews, about how faith pleases God. It speaks to His faith that's pleasing to God, and it's evidenced by His obedience to God. And that's usually what ensues. By faith, and our faith is pleasing to God. And when we're by faith pleasing to God, it will be evidenced by our obedience to God. One of the things that I'm learning in my own walk with the Lord is that fear is the antithesis of faith. Let me explain this. I'm either going to be full of faith, or I'm going to be full of fear. Fearful or faithful. It's one or the other. They cannot coexist. And the problem is that I've been commanded to not be fearful. God has not given me a spirit of fear. So now I've got a problem, because the command is to not be full of fear, but rather be full of faith. Are you with me so far? Now in verse 20, 
when the angel of the Lord says to Joseph, do not be afraid. It is a command to instead of being afraid, which he was, to instead not be afraid or full of fear, but to be full of faith. To take Mary by faith. Yeah, but <laughs> this has never happened before. I know. That's why it's called faith and not sight. Right? See, everything in our Adamic sin nature chafes at this notion of faith. Because what faith says and is, is the substance of things hoped for, the, here's the word, evidence of that which is not yet seen. So I don't see it, but by faith I believe it. That's what faith is. Uh, spoiler alert, at the rapture we no longer have any need for faith because we'll have sight. Have you ever, again I know that's deeply profound, right? So we don't need faith because now we have sight. So this whole faith thing is temporary until we're with Him. And when we see Him, oh. So let's talk just a little bit about how fearful Joseph had become. And what was it and how is it that he could go from being so full of fear to being so full of faith that he would, out of obedience to God, pleasing to God, do all that God had commanded him to do, despite, I mean, if you really think about it, a virgin birth of the Savior of the world. And make no mistake about it, and again, the Holy Spirit is careful to inspire Matthew to record this one detail about Joseph that we know about him, that he was a man, a righteous man who observed and kept the law. He knew. He knew. If he knew the law, he knew the prophecies in the Old Covenant. He knew about the Messiah. He knew this because he knew the Word of God the law of God. That makes it even more incredible to me. Because now he's, he's probably thinking, wow, imagine the virgin birth of the Savior of the world. I know, right Joseph? And it's going to be you, me. <laughs> How's he going to transition to this man of faith and leaving behind this man of fear, being so afraid. I believe it's because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. He heard the Word which gave him the faith, and the faith overcame the fear. Joseph's faith in that which was not seen, 
was the thing he needed to overcome his fear of that which was seen. Let me say the same thing in a different way. Faith is the substance of things not seen. And he needed that faith in what was not seen to overcome the fear of what was seen. And is that not how fear comes? By what we see. You're looking at your circumstances in your life. And I think you would agree that coming into the new year, we're in very uncharted territory. <laughs> the uncertainty, the fear, the stress of everything that's happening. You talked about this a little bit in the update. Talked a little bit about Jacob, the account when his sons come to him and they've left Simeon there in Egypt. And now they don't know it's Joseph, but he, they've been sent back to prove they're not spies. They have to bring Benjamin. And now they got to break this to their dad. And when they do, Jacob is like, <laughs> Joseph, as far as he's concerned, has long been dead. That's, that's what he thinks. And now Simeon is gone, and now you want Benjamin. And then he says, everything is against me. And if he only knew what was just around the corner. Because then when they come back, and it's recorded in Genesis 45, and they say to him, Dad, they didn't say it like that, but <laughs> you're not going to believe this. Joseph is alive. Joseph, a type of Christ. Jesus is alive. And we're told, here's the, here's the detail again. Joseph, his heart stopped. I mean, it just like we would say, it skipped the beat. He, he, his heart stopped because he couldn't believe it. It was, he couldn't believe it until, watch this, he heard the Word and saw the provisions. That's the faith. And then he traveled and he saw Joseph, who's alive. He's risen from the dead, because I thought he was dead for so long. No, he's, he's alive. Our greater than Joseph, Jesus is alive. If fear comes by sight, and faith, the antithesis, comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, then it would stand to reason that if I would hear and heed the Word of God, and then have that faith, I can overcome any fear. I could use me some of that. I mean, I'm just like you in a lot of respects. What's coming down the pike, man? Everything is against us, <laughs> but God, but God. Romans 8, if God is for me, who can be against me? No one. We were in Isaiah Thursday night, very well-known passage, no weapon forged against you will prosper. Oh, you can try to 
create and forge all these bioweapons. I better be careful. <laughs> but it will not prosper or prevail. God's going to have the final word. I suppose, as I bring it in for a close, that the takeaway is simply this. Yeah, this has never happened before. <laughs> We've never been this way before. We're going to have to have faith like never before. But the truth of the matter is we have absolutely nothing to be afraid of, because God is for us. Um, yeah, it was hard, but you know, God provided everything. What, God's not going to provide for Joseph and Mary? Uh, <laughs> every need was provided. Oh, by the way, I, again, I'm going to, I've already ruined Christmas, so I might as well just, I'm on a roll. So, you know, when the wise men came, th that was not when he was born. Are you okay? Uh, he was a child by then. And they were guided by the star, and they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's another sermon for another time. Um, by the way, all three of those gifts in abundance. And by the way, <laughs> might as well, there weren't just three. I don't know where we got, we three kings from Orient are. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says that. These were kings that brought them an abundance of gold. Oh, they're going to need that. They were set for life with that gold. The frankincense, the myrrh, this was medicinal. It was everything they needed was provided for them. And God's not going to provide for us? Yeah, but it's getting really bad. What, God's surprised? Could you imagine if God were surprised? What's the new order and restriction now city and county is imposing? When did this happen? Gabriel, Michael, get over here. When, what's going on? No. I love what the proverb says. He guides the, the kings and mayors and governors. Are we good? Okay. Like the water goes down the stream, like it flows down the, he's, he's like, we're like, God, can, did, did you hear what? I'm the one who guided them to do it. Everything's going perfectly according to my plan. How about when Joseph is told, you better get to Egypt, because, you know, Herod's going to try to kill this newborn king. Well, we, uh, I haven't got my paycheck yet. That's okay. I've got enough gold to set, set you for life. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. Yeah, but there's no, the, the restrictions, we can't get into the inn because we're not, never mind. That's uh, too far, I know, but you get the point. I don't have my QR code. I can't get in to the to the end. Is that better? That's a little better, right? No, I got it all taken care of. I got it all taken care of. Have faith. You have nothing to fear. God's going to take care of you.
I want to take it a step further. And this is where we get back to Joseph and Mary being just real people like us. I want you to think this through with me. Joseph was saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And so was Mary. <gasps> Blasphemy! Come on. Mary and Joseph were saved by grace as sinners through faith. It was the gift of God, not of works. You would think of all people, they would get a pass. I mean, after all, they parented the Savior. And Mary, bless her heart, gave birth to the Savior of the world. You would think that, you know, they're in. No, there's no way to the Father except through Him. They were saved by grace. You know what the last words, and, uh, and we'll I know I said I was going to close. I'll really close this time with this. But think, think about this. Um, <laughs> the last words Mary ever spoke that are recorded in Scripture, it was at the first miracle Jesus ever performed that's recorded in Scripture. When He turns the water to wine at this wedding, that's interesting in and of itself. You know what the last recorded words of Mary were, this is my son, listen to him and do what he says. Oh, that's going to mess up a few religions that I know of. This is Mary, mother of Jesus. You know, I, I mean, again, no disrespect, but I hear my heart on this. Mary was a sinner, just like us. Mary was saved by grace, just like us, through faith, just like us. And that's the good news, the gospel. What's the gospel? That's what the word gospel means. Your debt has been paid. Good news. You're free to go. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. The first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul describes the gospel as Jesus coming, being crucified, buried for three days, rising again from the dead. And when he writes to the Thessalonians, his first letter, by the way, to the Thessalonian church, he says this of the gospel. It's the first time he writes about the gospel, that it's Jesus came, He was crucified, buried, rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day, soon and very soon, in the rapture of the church. Oh, I, I, I have to say this. This is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said to the disciples, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you, because in my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. And if it were not so, I would not have told you that where I am, there ye may be also. I'm coming back for you. That's the good news. I'm coming back. He was speaking as a bridegroom to his bride. I'm going to go build a room addition, a bridal chamber for us to consummate our marriage. And I'm going to go prepare that place. And I'm going to come back and take you to that place that I prepared for you. That's the gospel. That's the rapture. 
That's the good news. Well, in order to have good news, don't you need to have bad news? Yes. Don't you hate it when people say, I have bad news and I have good news. Which one do you want to hear first? I usually just say, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't want to hear any bad news. Just give me the good news. Well, the bad news is, is that we're all sinners. And this is the A in the childlike simple explanation of salvation with the ABCs of salvation. It's this acknowledging and admitting, I've sinned, because unless and until I acknowledge that I've sinned, I have no need for or any interest in the Savior. And Romans 3 says to any who would say, well, I'm a good person. Well, you may very well be a good person but you will never be good enough. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. You might be a good person, but you'll never be good enough. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all, keyword all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all born sinners, which is why Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now Romans 6.23 gives the bad news first, and then the good news. What's the bad news? The bad news is the wages of sin is death. In other words, all have sinned, and that sin carries with it a penalty, and it's the death penalty. And the good news is, is that Jesus paid your penalty in your stead, paid my penalty in my stead, and He paid in full for our sin, and paid the price so that He could give us the gift, the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know I say this every week. I hope you don't tire of me saying it, but especially this time of year, when you get a gift, what do you do with it? I'm not talking about re-gifting. My, my worst fear is that we're going to re-gift something to someone who gave it to us in the first place. That would be horrible. So when you get a gift, what do you do? You accept it. You don't pay for it, because if you pay for it, it's not a gift. It's a purchase. No, He, he paid for it. He, he paid the purchase price. We are purchased. We are not our own. We are purchased with a price, and it cost him everything. It cost him his life. And then he pays in full for this gift, and he gives us this gift, and he offers us this gift for the accepting. And it's the gift of eternal life. And that's the good news. Here's the B, very simple. In fact, truth be made known, it's simpler than ABC. It's actually as simple as B, just believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. I wonder at what point Joseph and Mary believed that Jesus was Lord and Savior. I wonder at what point. I, I think Mary was first. <laughs> I think Joseph, maybe it came later, because he was acting by faith out of obedience initially. I wonder if it was when Jesus was 12. Remember the account when He went to the temple? 
I don't know how it happened, but they, they leave Jerusalem without him, and they think they lost him, and they're trying to go, go back and find How do you lose? We're in deep kimchi now. We've lost the Savior of the world. <laughs> so much for our parenting. And where is he? He's in the temple as the fulfillment of the prophecy. I wonder if Joseph, if that, if that sealed the deal for Joseph, it's kind of like, oh man, you're, you're the Savior. You're my Savior. I believe. I believe. And then the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord. This is Romans 10, 9 and 10 as well. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13, and I know we do this every week. Please would you hear this verse through different ears, because I know you hear it all the time. I want you to listen to this, because it says, all, which means all, who call upon the name of the Lord will, will be saved. Is that simple? Is that too simple? It's childlike simple. Jesus said, unless you become like this little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's childlike simple. I implore you today, and I make no assumptions of anyone in this church service today or watching online, if you've never called upon the Lord. Man, I, I got to tell you, and I, <laughs> I, I'm pleading with you, with everything that's happening in the world and, and prophecy that's being fulfilled. I, I don't know why anyone would put off the most important decision of their life for eternal life. Yes, count the cost, but this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life for eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the account of the birth of the Savior of the world. Oh, loving Heavenly Father, you, you love us so much that You sent Your only begotten Son to die for us, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish in hell for all eternity, but have everlasting life. Oh Lord, how could we ever thank You enough? for the gift of eternal life that you paid for. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this